the Medicare fee-for-service prior authorization program for repetitive scheduled non-emergency ambulance transports is expanding across the United States. It's here for good, and many of you are now learning how this will change the way you conduct business in the EMS world. One of the most confusing areas revolves around how the Physician Certification Statement, or what we call the PCS, intertwines with the prior authorization process. We'll explore this issue in this edition of the QMC EMS Board and Collar Podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. Welcome to the QMC Board and Collar, news and thought-provoking discussion for today's emergency medical service professional. The Board and Collar Podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, your host for today's Board and Collar podcast from QMC's business development team, Chuck Humphrey. So with me today is Becky Illig, who I love serving with as part of the QuickMed Claims compliance team. Becky, welcome to the Board and Collar podcast. Hey, Chuck. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me today. So you've done a lot of research on the prior authorization process and how there is this confusing overlap between the prior auth and the PCS. Let's dig into it, but first, can you please just remind our listeners what this prior authorization is all about? Yeah, not a problem. The prior authorization we're talking about today is for regular Medicare and Medicare fee-for-service. This pertains to the RSNAT or RSNAT trips, which is when the patient is transported round trip from and to the same location for the same treatment at least once per week across three consecutive weeks or three round trips in a 10-day period. The prior authorization is submitted by the EMS agency prior to the beginning of the transports, preferably to the Medicare Administrative Contractor, or MAC, using a specific form accompanied by medical records supplied by the patient and or the patient's physician or the healthcare facility where the patient resides, if that is the case. So, Becky, this process has been around in a few states for quite some time, actually dating back to 2014, but it is this year that it expands to the entire United States, which is why we're spending some time today helping our clients and all of you listeners to get a good understanding of what the process is. So, Becky, what happens after the ambulance service submits the request for a prior authorization? Well, the information is reviewed by the MAC. And then a provision affirmation is issued or the request is denied. The provisional affirmation is not a guarantee of payment, but is a review that provides the ambulance service with a confirmation that the patient is deemed medically necessary for ambulance transport and reasonably. Unless something changes with regards to the patient's overall overall health, gives a level of comfort that payment will most likely be made in the end. So let's get to the heart of the matter for this podcast. Because honestly, Becky, we could talk about prior OS and all that goes into this for probably all day long. But our focus today is how the PCS and the prior authorization go together, but also cause some issues. And now I think I have this straight, but help me understand. So for these transports, only a physician can prepare and sign off on the certificate of medical necessity, which then turns it into a physician certification statement or a PCS. Am I right on that? You are correct, Chuck. So where does the confusion rest with this thing? The confusion comes in with the PCS only being valid for 60 days, yet the prior auth is issued for 40 round trips or 80 individual trip legs. 
The PCS must be submitted with the prior authorization request, which then outlasts the life of the PCS. Somewhere in between the issuing of the prior authorization and the doc signing of the PCS, the PCS's 60-day timeframe runs out and the ambulance service, while holding provisional affirmation for the series of transports, must request a renewed PCS prior to the completion of the prior authorization's lifespan. Wow, that can really be confusing and I'm certain takes more than a bit of tracking for ambulance service administrators and responsible staff members. And this whole process is really tricky anyhow because the amount of prep work and relationship building, it takes to collect the information about the patient in the first place. Am I correct about all that? You're right, Chuck. In EMS, we are accustomed to writing the patient care report, obtaining the PCS and the things that are directly obtained from the transport itself. But this prior authorization process requires the supporting information to back up and apply for the prior authorization to be issued by the MAC. It must be obtained from the patient's clinician and not the ambulance provider. If that information does not adequately support the case the ambulance service is making that their repetitive patient cannot be transported by any other means without jeopardizing the patient's health, then potentially the ambulance service will be stuck with the dilemma of having to either refuse to transport the patient or seek reimbursement from another source or from the patient himself or herself. Well, Becky, thanks so much for calling our attention to this quirk in the prior authorization process where this PCS and the prior authorization can throw a wrench into the whole process. And thanks overall for educating all of us about how tricky this program can be. Of course, I'll remind everyone out there that we are only talking about patients who have quote unquote regular Medicare or Medicare fee for service. The Medicare Advantage plans, the HMOs and the PPOs may have their own prior authorization process, which all of you should be aware of. And then there are various state Medicaid programs, Medicaid managed care, the commercial health insurance payers that possibly have their own rules too. It's a whole lot to keep track of. And that's why we're doing this podcast today to help all of you navigate this very tricky process. Well, folks, that wraps up this edition of the QMC EMS Board and Collar Podcast. Be sure to check out our many other episodes by accessing the podcast archives via our website at www.quickmetclaims.com or by searching on your favorite podcast channel. And guess what? You can even say to Amazon Alexa, just say Alexa, play the QMC EMS Board and Collar podcast. So until we meet together again, remember, be safe out there.